Last Sunday, in chapter 16 of Matthew's Gospel, we read of the events at Caesarea Philippi, the site of the pagan temple to the Greek god Pan, where the Lord Jesus put to his apostles the central question of human life. Who do you say that I am? And we heard Simon's answer to that question. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In reply, the Lord Jesus then gave Simon a new name and a new mission. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Then the gospel ended last week with this strange twist. Jesus strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. But why? Why would the Lord have ordered them not to speak of the extraordinary truth just confessed by Simon Peter? The reason is simple. Because although the end of Christ's journey was near, his mission was not yet complete. His hour, the time of his betrayal and condemnation, of his suffering and death, his hour was already on the horizon, but had not yet fully arrived. And until that hour had come and he was raised from the dead, the preaching of the gospel had to wait just a little while longer. Chapter 16 of Matthew's gospel ends at Caesarea Philippi, And then chapter 17 opens six days later with the transfiguration of Jesus on a high mountain in the presence of Peter, James, and John. Scripture does not say, but an ancient tradition holds that the transfiguration took place 40 days before Good Friday and thus signaled the final stage of the Messiah's mission. In any case, Moses and Elijah came to prepare the Messiah for the suffering and death that awaited him in Jerusalem. And there the Lord Jesus was revealed to be light from light and God the Father's own beloved Son. Simon Peter was so filled with delight at this glimpse of divine radiance that he did not want to leave that high place. But then the majestic and terrifying glory cloud overshadowed them And the Father's voice commanded them to listen to his Son, who again instructed his apostles to keep silent until the consummation of his mission. As they descended the high mountain, the Lord Jesus commanded Peter, James, and John, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And now we are ready to understand today's gospel, the passage between You are Peter, and the Transfiguration. Back at Caesarea Philippi, Matthew tells us, From that time on, after Peter's confession of faith, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. But this was too much for Simon Peter, who could not possibly consent to the torture and murder of his beloved teacher and friend, the newly confessed Messiah and Son of God. And so Peter exclaimed, 
God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. I imagine this is precisely the way any of us would respond to the prospect of an innocent person we love suffering injustice, violence, and death. But the very heart of the gospel is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us precisely so that he could take upon himself the suffering of the whole world. Without Christ's atoning death on the cross and his glorious resurrection, he could not redeem the human race from sin and death. But Peter had not yet grasped this truth, which is why Christ commanded him and the others to keep silent about his identity and to help them see that his mission absolutely required the cross. The Lord had to be severe with Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are setting your mind not on the things of God, but on the things of man. How hard it is for us to set our minds on the things of God and how easy it is to focus on the things of man, on our own wisdom and our own likes and dislikes. We trust our experience and our judgments about what is right and wrong, true and false. Then the world tells us to follow our hearts, not realizing that our hearts cannot be trusted until they have been converted and illuminated by the Lord Jesus. So we cobble together our identities by indulging our own desires and pleasures, and we choose our path and place in the world to ensure maximum security and comfort. But the cross is not comfortable. The cross is violent and loathsome and an agony to carry and to die upon. And none of us would choose that path for ourselves or for those we love. And then we conclude that if we would not ask others to carry a cross, surely God will not ask it of us. But friends, there is no way of life for Christians other than the way of the cross. And so the Lord Jesus teaches us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But what form does the cross take? In every age, the gospel contradicts something in human culture. And in every life, the word of God rejects something that we dearly desire as the prophet Jeremiah learned in today's first lesson. In our day, the gospel requires us to stand against fundamental errors about what a human person is and about several dimensions of human life and love. For example, to take five disputed questions of our day, the gospel reveals that abortion and euthanasia are murder that male and female are the only possible sexes and that they are chosen for us rather than by us. That only one man and one woman who give themselves to each other for life can make the bond of sacramental marriage in the church. 
that only baptized men can become priests, and that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the entire human race. Most people alive today do not believe those things, and many of the baptized and some of the ordained, even of the highest ranks, are tempted not to believe them either, let alone to try to shape their lives by them. But to reject these truths revealed by God is to reject the cross. And that rejection is seldom quiet or abstract. Consider Simon Peter's rejection of the cross of Christ. Matthew tells us that when Jesus described his coming suffering and death, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Think of that. Peter rebuked Jesus. The student corrected his master. Simon didn't, didn't simply doubt the wisdom of Jesus. The newly named rock contradicted the Lord Jesus. He sharply corrected his rabbi, the man whom he had just confessed to be the Messiah and son of the living God. But if Peter rejected the cross and contradicted Jesus, then we do exactly the same thing every time we reject the gospel and prefer our own wisdom to the revealed word of God. When we choose our own comfort or pleasure or security over the truth revealed in Holy Scripture and handed on in the apostolic tradition, then we rebuke the Lord Jesus and refuse to carry the cross. When we will not acknowledge that our sins even are sins, then we sharply contradict the Lord and pretend that we know better. And that, friends, is a path to spiritual death. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? At Caesarea Philippi, Simon Peter, master of the palace and the kingdom of heaven, rejected the cross, both for himself and for the Savior. And then, despite his sharp correction by the Messiah, Peter rejected the cross again in the Garden of Gethsemane by his sloth and anger, and again at the home of Caiaphas by his cowardice and lies, and again at Calvary by his conspicuous absence. Peter failed over and over and over again to accept the cross. And we do exactly the same thing every time we set our minds on the things of man rather than the things of God and prefer our own wisdom to the gift of divine revelation. But by grace, through faith, hope, and love, Simon Peter eventually found the strength and courage to accept the cross and to live according to the saving truth he already believed in his heart and confessed with his lips. And in the grace of God and through the forgiveness of our sins, we can find that same strength too. And that is what St. Paul is describing in the second lesson today from his letter to the Romans. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Simon Peter eventually died on a cross in Rome on the Vatican Hill, and by his death he bore witness to his faith that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In living the grace of our baptism, we are called to give the same witness by refusing to conform ourselves to this age and by allowing ourselves to be transformed by the renewal of our minds in the liberating truth of the gospel. Such renewal and transformation is a gift of God's grace given to us in word and sacrament so that in the obedience of faith and nourished by the sacred mysteries of our redemption, we can offer our bodies and our whole selves as a living sacrifice of spiritual worship, worship of the word of God made flesh, worship of the Savior who carried his cross first and always helps us carry our cross. The Lord, Jesus Christ,